Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. In recent weeks, we've set aside our usual Chicago's Legal Latte podcast discussions to cover a which usually cover a wide range of legal topics, uh, and we've started to dig deeper into our new bankruptcy solution series. Um, now, while our discussion today will be you know, as detailed and focused as the first two episodes, the change we will make is that uh, this episode we welcome managing partner of Laval Law, Ted McGinn, in to be our guest. Um, now, Ted, your, your colleague Tim Hughes did a great job getting the series off to a, a good start, but we thank you for taking some time to join me today. Great. I'm glad to be here. And, you know, as you know, bankruptcy is a topic that, you know, can't really fit it in correctly, properly in the 15 minute time that we have for these podcasts. So we decided to kind of create a, uh, an extended series. And that way we have the opportunity to kind of go through, you know, some of the, some of the issues uh, in a little bit more depth. Yeah. And unfortunately it's a time where we anticipate seeing more bankruptcies uh, due to the uh, financial and economic conditions many people face. So uh, we've done a, a good start in learning about the types of bankruptcies and also talked uh, to Tim a little bit about creditors. But let's let's kind of pick up the conversation there. Can you kind of walk us through the different types or classes of creditors in a bankruptcy? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of put everybody on the same page and give some perspective, generally when you're talking about a Chapter 7 case or chapter 13 uh, you know a debtor is going to file the bankruptcy petition their goal of course is to uh, you know discharge their debts or reorganize those debts Uh, you know the first you know one part of the analysis is you know what assets are they going to give up but the other part of it is uh, you know how are the creditors going to be treated, and are these creditors going to in fact be discharged? You know that that and and that kind of takes us back to the type of creditors that are there and how they're treated differently in the bankruptcy, depending on the nature of them, uh, you know, of their, of their claim. You know what type of creditor they are. So, with that being said, uh, the three types, the general type of creditors we look at, we have a secured creditor which is a creditor that uh, has a lien of some sort, a voluntary lien or possibly involuntary lien, but a lien of some sort on the assets of the debtor. So that's secured creditor. Uh, you also have your unsecured creditor. That's just a, a creditor that really has no lien. There hasn't been any sort of, you know, when I talk about a lien, and the most classic example of a lien is a mortgage. Uh, sure. or, or when you buy a car, you know, you, you give the, the car finance company a lien on the vehicle. Th- those are your classic liens. Um, unsecured is, is a, a situation where the creditor has no lien, and that would be, you know, the most common type of unsecured creditor would be a credit card company. Uh, you know, you use a credit card to acquire maybe goods, services, you know, restaurant, you know, whatever the case may be. And generally, those those creditors are unsecured creditors. And the third category, I would label that as priority creditors. These are special type of creditors that um, you know they don't really have a a, uh, a lien on any assets, but because of their nature, they're treated in a special way. Now, with the secured creditors, that that leads me to believe that those are the assets that the 
individual or couple who are filing for bankruptcy are, are most concerned about trying to maintain some ownership of a home or a car. Um, does the trustee kind of look at those secured creditors equally, or is there some uh, discrimination they go through to determine the, the, the ranking of a secured creditor? Yeah, I mean, a secured creditor, like like you mentioned, a mortgage lender, a bank, that's your very most common secured lender, or maybe, a, like I mentioned earlier, a car, you know, a finance company. When you buy a car, you're going to finance it. They're going to have a lien on that vehicle. Uh, you know, in, in those situations, those creditors have a lien on a particular type of asset. And, you know, are they treated the same? Well, yes and no. I mean, a creditor that, that they're, they're, you know, the, under the laws, there is a set of, of, of rules that are followed with respect to secured creditors, and it's usually a function of the creditor who first obtained their lien. That creditor would have senior rights to the asset in question. So, for example, with a home, when you buy your, your home, you're going to have a mortgage, and that mortgage is granted at the time that you acquire the property. Sometimes a homeowner may get a second mortgage or a line of credit, and that comes at a later date. So in that situation, uh, you know, both creditors may be considered secured creditors, but the first creditor has the most senior position, and and therefore they will, you know, they'll be able to resort to that that home before that second mortgage holder has any rights to that particular asset. Um, and, and so that's you know that, that's kind of how secured creditors are treated. Now, a trustee. They don't really have any uh, say in these, uh, you know, secured creditors and the assets that they have a lien on, provided that that lien was properly prepared and recorded. I suppose a trustee could, if they felt that that lien wasn't properly effectively recorded by the time the bankruptcy filed, the creditor or the trustee could try to challenge that, and then if they're successful with that, then that particular asset comes into the bankruptcy estate. And the last thing I would mention about these secured creditors. Uh, many times in a Chapter 7 situation, uh, the debtor wants to keep that property, that home, for example. What they'll do in order to keep that property is that they will execute a reaffirmation agreement. And what that is is a new contract that the debtor signs with the lender, just reaffirming that debt. And then if the, as long as the debtor does that, that mortgage lender will allow the creditor to keep that, but they have to basically, you know, continue to make those payments as they previously agreed. Now, in the, in the last installment here, we we talked about uh, exemptions, and uh, to go back to that, uh, do those exemptions kind of override or have priority over liens, or again, is that uh, something that gets reviewed individually, uh, case by case? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, that when you deal with a regular lien. A, a volunteer lien, then that lender has the right to seize that collateral, that asset, whatever the case may be, unless the debtor signs a reaffirmation agreement. Now, if you have a judgment lien, that is a lien that arises by virtue of a judgment obtained against the debtor. In that situation, if there is an exemption, that that judgment lien is uh, is subordinate to that exemption. So if uh, if a uh, you know if a debtor could strip away that judgment lien in order to utilize their exemption, which would protect a portion of that particular asset. So that's one of the you know a judgment lien is a little bit different than a t- typical you know voluntary lien that a secured creditor would have. And um, I just want to clarify something else you mentioned there in terms of the collateral. Um, what, what's the position for a secured creditor? Can they can they take back collateral in a bankruptcy? Yes. I, I, 
they can, you know, many times a lender is going to prefer to be paid. I mean, they're in the business of mm -hmm. lending money and they want to be repaid the loan and they want to make interest on their loan and that's what they're in the business of doing. They're not in the business of taking collateral and selling it. I mean, usually if they do that, they're going to be suffering a loss of some sort. I mean, they can't take the collateral back. Their preference most likely is going to be to have the debtor sign a reaffirmation agreement, in which case the debtor would keep the asset in question, the lender gets paid, the, the, the payments under the note plus the interest like was originally agreed upon. But if, if for some reason the debtor you know, doesn't want that property, then the debtor doesn't sign the reaffirmation agreement, then in that situation the secured creditor will take back the collateral. I mean, I can envision a situation where you have a piece of real estate, you have a mortgage on it, if that value of that real estate tanks and drops significantly, now all of a sudden the loan exceeds the value of the home, I could see a situation where a debtor could just simply say, I want to walk away, I don't want this property anymore, and and, and you know why be saddled with a property that's worth you know less than what you're going to pay on the loan? So that's an opportunity for a debtor to simply walk away, and in that situation, the creditor may not be happy about it because they're going to take a loss on their mortgage, but they would then take back the collateral at that point. Uh, Jim Mitchell and I serve as your host for Chicago's Legal Latte podcast series, which features any of the more than 30 attorneys at Laval Law. And, Today, as we bring you Episode 3 of our special seven-part bankruptcy solution series, we've kind of reached up to the top of the firm to connect with managing partner Ted McGinn. We're talking about the discharge of debt and bankruptcy on this episode, and the entire bankruptcy solutions series can be found, uh, along with hundreds of other podcasts, videos, articles, great deal of information, all at lavellelaw.com. I encourage you to stop there to uh, dig in a little bit deeper and um, Again, going back to our introduction here, Ted, you also mentioned priority debts, and I don't think we've really talked about that at any point in the series so far. What, what can you tell me about what priority priority debts are? Yeah, your, your most common priority debts would be taxes or maybe fines, something that's owed to a governmental entity of some sort. Priority debts are typically non-dischargeable, um, and so for that situation, you know, a debtor is going to be stuck with those particular debts, notwithstanding the fact they filed a bankruptcy. So a tax obligation, if you whether it's current tax or past due tax, you, you still are obligated to try and bring those up to date, even in a bankruptcy. Well, there are exceptions. You know, there's always an exception. There are some situations where taxes can, in fact, be discharged. Not many people understand that, but in certain situations, income taxes can be discharged. There's a three-year test. You know, first the tax uh, taxes must relate to a return that was due at least three years before the bankruptcy filing. Uh, they, the, the return must have, in fact, been filed at least two years before the bankruptcy filing, and then the taxes in question must have been assessed at least 240 days before the bankruptcy filing. So, if in that situation, then those taxes would be dischargeable, in which case it would no longer be that priority type. Um, uh, status anymore. If they're priority, that means they can't be discharged. Um, and, and uh, you know, with the economy the way it is, jobs in particular, um, you know, it seems that there are more younger people encountering financial issues than perhaps in the past. I would always think of bankruptcy as someone who's a little more established hits a problem. Um, for younger people, the biggest thing right now is student loans. Uh, how how are those handled in a bankruptcy? 
Yeah, generally they're non-dischargeable. I mean, they, they um, you know, the government has uh, typically are backing these student loans and, and in this situation. Um, they're non-dischargeable unless the debtor is able to demonstrate that there's some sort of financial hardship. So there's an additional showing you need to come into court to demonstrate to the bankruptcy court that this, you know, for, for this to be non-dischargeable, that would create a significant hardship on the debtor. So if I try and summarize some of what we've covered today, I, I know this is a blanket statement, but um, we've looked at different classes and categories. But you know, do we do we just say in general that you know the general unsecured non-priority debts are, are they all dischargeable then, or um, is that really too too easy of a thing to say? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the, the, the priority debts are typically non-dischargeable, and then you get into the other class. You know, I mentioned that this, you know, the, the unsecured, general unsecured, non-priority debts, those are dischargeable. And, you know, there you're talking about, like I mentioned before, you know, your typical credit card bills, uh, could be possibly hospital bills, could be, you know, loans that you may have taken out from somebody, but those typically are, um, are, are fully dischargeable. And um, before I let you go, obviously, as we've said, um, we're starting to see a lot of people have to take a look at this as an option. Uh, what should someone do, Ted, if they're, if they're starting to feel the pressure of, of financial concerns? Is this something that they should just sit and talk to someone about first and understand the options and, and then take a little time to review? Well, I think they need to sit down with an attorney who understands the bankruptcy code because there could be, you know, like I mentioned before, the taxes being dischargeable. Well, the key component there is when the actual bankruptcy petition is filed. I mean, I've heard cases where if a debtor had only waited another, you know, 15 days or 30 days, then those tax liabilities would have been discharged. But by by virtue of not understanding that, they, they file a bankruptcy petition and are still stuck with that tax liability. Also, another common uh, debt that we deal with a lot is alimony and child support. Typically, alimony and child support are non-dischargeable. However, in a court setting, um, divorce, there's usually a property settlement, and a property settlement can be discharged. Now, it's possible the other spouse could come into court and try to file an adversary challenging that from being discharged. So I guess the long story short, Jim, is that because there's so many different categories of debt, I think a debtor needs to sit down with an experienced bankruptcy attorney so they can understand if, if they do file the bankruptcy, that it's going to solve their problem, that they're going to be able to walk away and, and, and strip away of those liabilities. Well, a lot we've covered today. Thanks to Ted McGinn for being here. I appreciate that very much. Again, more information at lavellelaw.com or 847-705-7555. Part three of our seven-part series complete. We'll talk to you again soon.